Author Sarah M. Broom's memoir, The Yellow House, discusses the roles of ritual and home for African Americans. It's a New York Times best-selling book, which won the 2019 National Book Award for nonfiction. On this episode of Created Equal, my conversation with author Sarah M. Broom. It was founded on the principle, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That all men are created equal. All men are created equal. Your memoir is different from a lot of others in that you cover your family history extensively prior to your own birth. It is a memoir as much of your family as it is of you, and you're not even part of much of the beginning of the book. Talk about why you chose to write your memoir in this way. You know, it's interesting. I, I wrestled a lot with this, right? Because the, the sort of central question I was asking myself is how do I appear in this story that I'm writing in context? How do I put the world that I knew and most understood in context? And the more I revised the book, because that choice to not appear until about 100 pages in the story <laughs> came a bit later because I felt that I needed to sort of establish this world first, right? And and I wanted to talk about what it actually meant when I was born. I wanted to talk about all the things I inherited, uh, all the generational ideas and the generational traumas and the sort of interest, right, that existed within this sort of matriarchal family to which I belong. Mm. Um, so though it's really unusual, it, it I think gave the book a kind of layering and nuance that mattered so much to me. Yeah. Uh, the the concept here in the book is home and the power and the draw of home. We, we, we were talking just now about how for you that, that is about family and mm -hmm. that it, it precedes you in, in time and, and space, but it's also about place in this, in this book, yeah. and it's very strongly about place. Tell us a little about New Orleans East and what kind of uh, importance it has for you as someone who's from there. Well, New Orleans East is a place that's about, I guess you'd say, a 12-minute drive from the parts of New Orleans that most people know. Mm -hmm. To get there, you make a kind of topographical journey, right? <laughs> because you go over this bridge we call the High Rise, which essentially takes you over the Industrial Canal, which, which was dredged in the 20s. And the reason this matters is because the, the dredging of that waterway actually disconnected the eastern part of New Orleans from the rest of itself. And that creates, I think, a kind of mindset, right? Not only in how the city was built and how New Orleans East came to be conceived, but also somehow in the bodies and psyches of the people who live in New Orleans East. And so, you know, the thing about New Orleans East, which actually I don't think very many people understand, is that it, it contains one of the largest NASA plants mm -hmm. and the rocket boosters, which have sent, you know, all of these incredible spaceships, shuttles, right, 
have launched them are actually built in New Orleans East. So I just found that deeply interesting, right, and ironic that this place, which was a kind of suburban experiment, this, the hopes and dreams of New Orleans in the 50s and 60s, you know, it was going to be a new frontier and it was going to expand the idea and, and, and a map of New Orleans, became a kind of abandoned experiment, right, in the 80s and 90s. And its people became a kind of footnote, right? to what it means to be from New Orleans, and I really wanted to change that. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea of forgotten places. Mm. Uh, I, I'm from a fairly forgotten place here in the in the um, city of Detroit as well. Um, talk about what that means to you and what influence that has on your perspective on, on the world. I, I think when mm. you're some, from someplace like that, you see every other place really differently. You really do. It is a thing, I think, that a sensibility that gives you a very specific point of view, I'd say. And, you know, for me, right, because, you know, the question, and of course this exists also, you're talking about Ellison and Invisible Man, mm-hmm. Invisible to whom, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the thing I know is that these people are are incredible humans who I grew up with on the short end of a long street in New Orleans East. And this act of not being on the official maps repeatedly, right, mm-hmm. um, is, is tricky because it's not just about wanting to belong by being on the map. It's not simply about recognition, right, though that's important. It's about resources and zoning and planning and how communities fall out of a city's consciousness, right? And so I think my world will always be framed by this part of New Orleans East where I came from because it also gave me a kind of perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Because to be outside is also to be able to see from a distance. And that's quite crucial, right, when you're trying to be a thinking person in the world. Yeah. This is Created Equal. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson. After a quick break, more of my conversation with Sarah M. Broom, author of The Yellow House. WDET celebrates 75 years of public radio with gratitude to our dedicated listeners. Listeners like you cherish community voices, local music, and independent journalism. This spring fundraiser, we're counting on your support, just as you count on us. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap Donate in the mobile app. Your book uh, is very detailed in the telling of your family's story and who your family are and how they interact with one another and sort of the multi-generational influence that they have on you. But but another, uh, I guess, point that had real influence on you was when your family home was devastated by Hurricane mm-hmm. Katrina and some of your family members were even displaced uh, by the storm. What was that experience of loss like? And how do you continue to process that permanence of displacement? Mm. 
Those are both big questions. <laughs> right. Uh, right? We've been talking for hours. <laughs> um, you know, this loss, and loss is something I just feel so deeply, particularly, and I sit in it for a long time. I think that's a natural thing for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all understand it, especially now. But, you know, the, the house, I didn't quite understand what it meant for me. I didn't understand how the house contained, for instance, so much of my father's traces. My father died when I was a baby, and and he helped build this house. And so a lot of how I understood my father was through this house. And so the loss was quite monumental, right? Because it was also a house my mother bought when she was 19 years old and, and sort of built this incredible world inside of it. And I think it, it made me think so much about what happens when the signpost of your life of your mm-hmm. growing up life, mm-hmm. the things you best know don't exist anymore. How do you find your footing, right? And, I mean, Ellison talks about this, and so did Toni Morrison, yes. right? Um, who who was always talking about these sorts of worlds and what happens when the plates shift, right, underneath you. Um, and right now, I'm thinking so much about, you know, that the Yellow House was in my mind a kind of national monument mm-hmm. <laughs> of the sort, mm-hmm. which is maybe the only way you can write a very long book about <laughs> a single place, you know? And, and it's just so interesting to think of in this particular moment that we're all in, to, to really think about, and, and thinking about you in Detroit, yeah. thinking about what empty spaces represent, right? What houses that are emptied out represent what they carry, what stories they contain, you know? And it's just impossible for me now to be a person in the world and think about homes and houses without really thinking about the people who lived in them, even if temporarily, even if they were passing through, Mm -hmm. right? And thinking about all the sort of incredible ways that people try to find home, even when they're displaced and dislocated. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, just listening to you talk about that home in New Orleans and how you feel about it and how you identify with the loss of it, just it, it reminds me so much of my own relationship to the house where my family lived when I was born here in Detroit, which mm-hmm. uh, which I found uh, empty and abandoned and stripped uh, about seven years ago mm. and was on the city's demolition list. They were going to, wow. they were going to tear it down. And I had that same moment of reckoning where I said to myself, you know, am I okay with this not being here? Would I be okay mm. if that were gone? And ultimately the answer was no, uh, I, I, I can't, I can't have this disappear from my wow. life, and so I I went and and saved it, and now it's a it's, oh, a, it's a nonprofit in that neighborhood. But I think that's a, a very common American theme. First of all, this idea of where we're from and and our connection to it. But I also think it's it, it takes on a different patina in the African American community. This idea yeah. of home and where we're from and 
the the way that we will defend that physical space even uh, in in ways that uh, that that are that are that are fundamentally different, I think, than than other people. Uh, absolutely, and and I think you know, in a world where you feel often um, and rigorously under assault, right? Yes. There there is uh, much more of I think it, uh, compulsion to create a spot that feels safe. Right. And to think for my mother, um, whose name is Ivory, you know, my mom was someone always interested in beauty, you know, just like how do you make a garden in this subsiding soil? Mm. Right. How do you do that? Mm. But you somehow figure it out and you do it because you like flowers on the table. Right. And you're not going to go to the supermarket and buy them, right? (laughs) You need to grow them. And so, like, all the small ways that we were taught to be in tune with the ground itself, you know, to think of ourselves as rooted in place. I mean, that, right, is so huge, an idea, right? Because in, in a place where we are constantly performing often dual selves, right? Um, and needing to be many, many things to different people, yeah. right? That, that you could sort of have a spot in the world where people know which name to call. That, that, that's a profound idea. Yes, yes. The destruction of home or the displacement of home for many of us, is about more than home itself. It is about community and mm-hmm. the communities that, that surrounded our homes in many cases are also really altered or in, in a lot of cases here in Detroit, just, just devastated or gone. Right. Exactly. It's something that we can never forget, right? That, that A, it's a privilege to be able to create a sense of home right? Mm -hmm. Often. And that, you know, this is something Kianga Yamada Taylor talks about in her book, Race for Profit. I think she does a great job of making us remember this, right? That, That when it becomes about capitalism, profit, right? This thing that has, that is so humanistic for many of us, right? It becomes something that loses meaning for many people, right? And and for me, thinking about schools and education, that was one of the first ways that I started to know that my particular neighborhood in New Orleans East was changing mm. because the school started to change, right? In these obvious ways where you just, as a child going there, felt like there is no safety here anymore. And, right? and tell us a little more about what, that change was in the schools? And so part of it, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but I know it now, but it was the sort of obvious lack of resources, right? So not enough teachers, too many children in each classroom, Um, days and days and days of substitute teachers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Where teachers were calling in sick or... um, you know, and, and this this lack of programs, right, for us, 
um, the actual taking away yes. of any outdoor playtime. I mean, <laughs> all these things. And as a kid who was, you know, a pretty wild kid, and also, but also interested in learning, um, it was devastating for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 and, and many of my childhood friends are now have paid for that, right? Because uh, they ha- they're in prison or they're not on the planet, they're dead. And I think of this all the time because it's the community itself around us, right? That's the shoring up. Yes. I just wanted to say about school in New Orleans East, you know, part of what I try to talk about in the work is just how cyclical and old these American patterns are, right? Mm -hmm. Because for my brother, Michael, who was one of the smartest children in the New Orleans school system, right? He was tested and was this exceptional kid. You know, his life was forever changed because not enough care was taken, right? In in the actual school. I mean, in his case, it was just straight up racism, right? Mm -hmm. But I wanted to just point out that, you know, these places, the way in which we try to find grounding for ourselves and for each other and the way people can come into communities and and do this kind of work that's so necessary, you know, I, I think there's something that we all understand mm. about our ability to work together and make change. And so I'm always thankful for people who who come with care, you know, who put in the time because the 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 repercussions of the carelessness is is life changing. That was my conversation with Sarah M. Broom, author of the New York Times best-selling book, The Yellow House, which won the 2019 National Book Award for nonfiction. On the next episode of Created Equal, we'll hear my conversation with Sojourner's founder, Jim Wallace, author of the book, America's Original Sin, Racism, White Privilege, and the Bridge to a New America. You know, I was trying to understand what was going on. I was a teenage kid and you know, there was something very big, very wrong going on in my city, in my country, and nobody in my white church and school and neighborhood would talk about it. Created Equal is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Our executive producer is Joan Cherry Isabella. Our producers are Jake Neer, Anna Marie Seisling, and Claire Brennan. Our sound engineers are Matt Trevethan and Rowan Niamisto. Our composer and senior editor is Sam Bobian. And our social media and digital assets are done by Maida Stangi and Tony Brown. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson. <laughs>